Psalms chapter number 23. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, I'll read verse 1. You read verse 2, and then we'll read this psalm together. Already, Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. I pray tonight and speak to our hearts, please, from this great psalm. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us recently in our Wednesday evening services, then you'll recall that we are currently making our way through the Old Testament book of Psalms. I've entitled this, obviously, Preaching Through the Psalms. And tonight finds us all the way up to the 22nd chapter or division of the book of Psalms. Now, if you look right under Psalms 22 there, you'll see once again that Psalms 22 is a psalm of David. We are told that David is the human instrument that God used to write the words of Psalms chapter 22. And although we understand that David was the instrument that God used to write the words, we understand the Bible is the inspired Word of God. So as we read uh, what David is writing, understand we are reading what God is saying. And as we look at Psalms chapter number 22, the one thing we become keenly aware of is that David is in Psalms 22 is in a great time of distress. He's in a great time of desperation as he penned those words. As you look through Psalms 22, it seems like that David is in a very bitter moment in his life. He describes his situation graphically. He is pinned down uh, undeniably to one location. His enemies have gathered round about him. He is in a great time of deprivation. He is wounded both physically and emotionally and spiritually. His prolonged sufferings have affected him, uh, greatest of all spiritually, but physically and emotionally as well. Most of all, David feels like as if he has been abandoned by God. He feels as if either God has either forsaken him or else just simply forgotten him. Now, there are many situations that we could talk about during the time of David's life that we have in the book of Samuels, the two Samuels, that would probably kind of fit into the scenario of Psalms chapter 22. Maybe David felt like this in those days that he was running from Saul and he got pinned in in the caves of En Gedi. Or maybe David felt like this when he was running for Saul and found himself in the back of the cave of Adullam with Saul and his armies in the front of the cave. In fact, uh, you know, David uh, in this psalm has very little food. He, he, he doesn't know if he's going to be alive from one moment to the, to the next. 
Most of the people in the land have turned on him, having believed the lies, the vicious lies that were being spread by King Saul and his counterparts. It would be easy, it would be very easy for a man in that kind of a situation to feel as if God has forgotten him, to feel as if God has abandoned him, to feel as if God has just completely turned away from him. How many times have you and I, in a terrible situation of our life, felt similar to that of David? We felt as if God has abandoned us or if God has forsaken us. And that's the kind of situation that David finds himself in in Psalms chapter 22. But now, remember that I've told you that the book of Psalms oftentimes should not only be looked at and be, be dealt with in the light of being a matter of history, but it also should be looked at and dealt with as being a matter of prophecy. That God is not only saying something immediately in the chapter, but God has something to say about something that's going to happen down the road. David in this text is writing his feelings down about some actual experience in his own life, but don't you kind of wonder, as David penned the words of Psalms 22, don't you kind of wonder if David kind of felt like, man, I wonder if there's something more than just meets the eye. Maybe as David wrote these words in Psalms 22 and then looked back at what he had written, maybe he thought to himself, what does all this mean as he wrote those words? Because in Psalms 22, we have a great prophecy. You see, while David may have been writing about some kind of a situation in his life, in reality in Psalms 22, what he's describing is the sufferings of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. You cannot read Psalms 22 without thinking about Calvary. Some of the very statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross were written hundreds of, year, hundreds of years before in Psalms 22. Look at verse 1, for example. Psalms 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, if that rings a bell, guess what? That's one of the seven statements that Jesus made while he was hanging on the cross of Calvary. And then if you'll look down in the same chapter at verse number 31, look at these words. They shall come and just shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. And then notice this phrase, that he had done this. People that are much smarter than I say that he had done this is just one word. And is the word translated finished. Now we're reminded of another statement that Jesus made while he was on the cross of Calvary. The sixth statement that he made while he was on the cross was these words, it is finished. You cannot read Psalms 22 without glimpsing a, a, a matter of prophecy when it comes to the, uh, the dark place of Calvary. Jesus is seen in this chapter as being abandoned in Psalms 22. He is seen as being abused in Psalms 22. He is seen as being abhorred in Psalms 22. In fact, as you read through this psalm, you can't help but notice how many, how many, how many times the writer talks about being hated and being ostracized and, and being scorned and persecuted and derided. 
But then we come, if you'll notice in verse 1 down through verse 21, we have a very dark picture of Calvary. But then when we come to verse number 22, it's almost like somebody flips the switch and we move from the darkness of Calvary into the dawn and the daylight of the resurrection. It's almost like a, a switch is flipped. In verse 21, save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. And then in verse 22, it simply says this, I will declare thy name unto, the, unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? I mean, it's, we move from the darkness of Calvary into the reality of the resurrection. As we approach Psalms chapter number 22, it is almost as if we're standing where Moses stood on the mountain. We almost feel like we ought maybe just to remove our shoes because in Psalms 22, we're standing on holy ground. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You are sitting in your seat thinking, has our preacher lost his mind? I know you're thinking that. You're probably thinking, preacher, you, you read Psalms 23, but you're talking about Psalms 22. I'm confused. Have you lost it? The answer is yes, but no. The point that I want to make tonight in this message is simply this. If there had been no Psalms 22, there would be no Psalms 23. The reason we enjoy what we enjoy in Psalms 23 is because of what Jesus did for us in Psalms 22. Now is it making a little bit more sense. In fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but Psalms 22 and Psalms 23 and Psalms 24 form what is known in literature as a trilogy. Now a trilogy is a story that is told in one story, but it's told in three different parts. So really you could tell it in three different parts or you could just tell it as just one story. And it's known as a trilogy. Well, when we look at Psalms 22 and Psalms 23 and in Psalms 24, we really find in, in reality, we find God's great work in the behalf and on the behalf of all humanity. Watch this. Look at Psalms 22. Psalms 22, we see the cross. In Psalms 23, we see the crook. And in Psalms 24, we see the crown. In Psalms 22, we see grace. In Psalms 23, we see guidance. In Psalms 24, we see glory. Watch this. In Psalms 22, we see our yesterdays. In Psalms 23, we see our todays. And in Psalms 24, we see our tomorrows. Watch this, Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, one of the great pictures that we have of the Savior and what He is like is, in the New Testament is the fact that He's pictured as the shepherd. I mean, over and over and over again in the New Testament, we read the fact that Jesus is the shepherd. In fact, Jesus said this about Himself in John 10, verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. One of the greatest analogies that identifies to us what Jesus is really like is seen in the picture of him being a shepherd. Well, in Psalms 22, guess what? The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, I'm telling you, this is unusual because if you'll go back and look in the Old Testament, the sheep gave their life for the shepherd. Sheep were raised throughout the Old Testament, and uh, the reason that they were raised is so that they could give their life for the shepherd. 
And yet when we turn the page and come across the 400 years of silence into the New Testament, we find the shepherd giving his life for the sheep. I mean, it's amazing the trilogy, the story that we find put together here. In Psalms 22, we see the good shepherd giving his life for the sheep. And then in Psalms 23, we see the guiding shepherd giving guidance to his sheep. And then in Psalms 24, we see the great shepherd sharing glory with the sheep. Can I stop and say this tonight? I'm glad to be a son in the family. And I'm glad to be a servant in the field. And I'm glad tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to be a soldier in the fight. But more than just being a son in the family and a soldier in the fight and a servant in the field, aren't you glad to be a little sheep in the flock? Aren't you glad tonight we've got a good shepherd? You and I, if we know anything about a, an old sheep, a sheep has no, no, no defense mechanisms. I mean, sheep can't fight for themselves. Uh, they're easy prey. They're, uh, they're easily devoured and defeated and overcome. The only protection, the only hope that they have is in the presence of the shepherd. And aren't you glad tonight we've got a good shepherd who'll never leave us and never forsake us and always be there for us? We have the good shepherd. Shepherd. I know it may seem dark right now, and I get all that. The wheels of your life may have run off. I understand all that, not minimizing that. But can I just stop and say, it may appear to be dark right now, but I'm here to tell you, friend, there's glory just a little ways down the road. There's going to be a day when Jesus comes again. So these three psalms, I haven't lost my mind, these three psalms fit together like a puzzle. Psalms 22, Psalms 23, Psalms 24. Now, I want to tell you this. We would not enjoy Psalms 23 had there not been a Psalms 22. So I want you to stay with me for just a minute and see if I can explainify all that. In Psalms 23, most of the time when you hear Psalms 23 read, it's at a funeral. You know, you go to a funeral and... You go to the graveside or whatever. Normally, they're going to, somebody, if there's two or three preachers, somebody's probably going to read Psalms 23. But let me tell you about Psalms 23. It's not a psalm for the leaving as much as it is for the living. You see, if you'll read Psalms 23, there's a whole lot more about than there is leaving in Psalms 23. I know, I get it. I've used it myself in funerals. I've read the verses myself standing at the graveside of some of our good members from our church. But in reality, if you look at this psalm, I mean, man, about the only part of leaving in this psalm is about verse 6. Verse 1 through verse 5 is about living. I'm glad he's the God of the living and not just the God of the leaving tonight. And we enjoy so much in Psalms 23. I mean, when you read that, just read it. Uh, let, me, let me do that. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come. thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup, surely, goodness, all those great benefits and blessings that we find in Psalms 23 are all because of what Jesus did for us in Psalms 22. So what I'd like to do tonight, and if you'll bear with me for just a moment, it's 741. I'm coming in for a landing already. 
But I'd like to go through Psalms 23 and talk about our blessings and then go back to Psalms 22 and show you that we, we have because Jesus had not. Are you with me? The reason we enjoy the benefits of Psalms 23 is because of the blood that was shed in Psalms 22. The reason that we, we live today and we enjoy God's favor upon our life and is because of everything that Jesus did for us back in Psalms 22. So let's get started. I, I've, and I, when I say seven, don't worry about it. We're going to be done in a minute. But I have seven things to say. Look at Psalms 23. Let me just say this. Number one, Jesus died forsaken that we might not be shaken. Jesus died forsaken. Now look at Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Now if you notice the word is, it is in the present tense. And that makes that statement present, for, present tense for you and for me as well. That assures us the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. And as our shepherd, he is always there with us. Think about this. There'll never be a moment in your life when you and I, now that we're saved, because of what Jesus did in Psalms 22, because of what he endured, there'll never be a moment in our life when you and I will be without the presence of God in our life. I mean, I know, I get it. We may grieve his presence. We may quench his presence. They sang about it a moment ago. Sometimes it seems like he's not even there. But guess what? We have the good promise of God. He'll never leave us. And the reason that we can enjoy his presence as we live is because Jesus did without his presence when he died. Jesus was abandoned. He, he uh, uh, was abandoned uh, there upon the cross of Calvary. God turned his back upon his own son. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. Let me tell you something. Jesus had all the adoration, the worship, the praise. He had the fellowship of the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven, and yet he laid all that aside and came into this world destined for Calvary, knowing what was going to take place there. He did all of that. He was forsaken by family. He was forsaken by by his friends. He was forsaken by his followers. And last of all, he was forsaken by his father. There upon that cross. Why? I'll tell you why. The answer, that Je the the answer uh, to why Jesus died forsaken is so that God would never have to forsake you and me. Jesus died alone so that we wouldn't have to live alone. Jesus paid the price on, God's, on Calvary. God, in verse number 1 of Psalms 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus on another occasion said, I do always those things that please my Father. Jesus, in, in John 11, when he was praying at the graveside of Lazarus, said, Father, I thank thee that thou always hearest me. I mean, they enjoyed an unbroken fellowship even while he was here on this earth. And yet something dramatically happened on Calvary because there on Calvary, Jesus cried out and there was no answer. Total silence. You know what happened? God abandoned his own son on Calvary. God forsook his son so that he could look at you and me and say this right here. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Aren't you thankful tonight that Jesus went, to that, went through that temporary separation on the cross so that you and I would not have to be eternally separated from God? I said all I'd say this. Jesus died forsaken that we wouldn't have to be shaken. Amen and amen. Look again now at Psalms 23. Here's the second thing. 
Jesus died dehydrated so that you and I could be hydrated. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look at Psalms 23. Look at this phrase here in verse number, verse number 2. He leadeth me beside the still waters. So in other words, if I understand that right, as we live with God in these days and, and Jesus uh, guides us and leads us along in life, he leads us along to those refreshing waters so that you and I never become dehydrated spiritually in this walk of life. And yet we come to understand that the one, the one of the reasons why you and I can be hydrated is because he died dehydrated. You know, one of those statements that Jesus made, the fifth one while he was hanging on the cross of Calvary in that noonday hour when it was as black as a thousand midnights, Jesus out of that darkness cried pitifully, I thirst. Now look back at Psalms twenty-two, fifteen, and here's what he said, My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the death, the dust of death. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, can you imagine how parched he was? I mean, he had already been beaten beyond, uh, beaten to a pulp, beaten beyond recognition. When you, if you really want to get a picture of the sufferings of Jesus, don't read the four Gospels. Read the prophecies that were made concerning Calvary in the Old Testament. And one of those prophecies that was made way back in the Old Testament was about the beating that the Son of God endured on the cross of Calvary. And how that he was beaten. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 50 that his, his visage, his facial features were marred more than that of any man. Looking at Jesus hanging on the cross, you couldn't even picture a man hanging there. That's how bad it was. His face looked like a package of hamburger meat. His back had been laid open by the Roman cat of nine tails. I mean, he had been beaten, the blood loss, uh, sleep, uh, uh, sleeplessness all night long, the blood loss, the dehydration that, that set in upon him. Can you imagine his muscles? I don't know if you, if you have bad muscle cramps. Sometimes I do. When I get dehydrated, if I've been out mowing the yard or I haven't drank a lot that day, especially water and I don't drink enough water. But man, I become dehydrated. When that happens, one of the things, the first things that happens to me is I suffer terribly from cramps. And I'm up in the middle of the night. Is anybody in here like that? I'm up in the middle of the night walking the floor. I mean, I would cry. It makes me so sick sometimes I want to throw up. I mean, I get, just become nauseated. The cramps and the pain. And I'm up walking the floors in the middle of the night trying to stretch those muscles out. And somebody told me the other day, said, if you'll, if you'll take one teaspoon of mustard and put it in your mouth, them cramps will go away. Well, can I tell you something? I took a teaspoon of mustard, put it in my mouth, and I threw up. So I ain't so sure that works or not. And maybe it helps somebody else, but it sure didn't. It made me sick as a dog. In the middle of the night with a mouthful of mustard, you get sick too, friend. I was stretching him cramps out. Can you imagine hanging on that cross with the amount of blood that's been lost and the sweat and the perspiration that has run down his cheeks and, and his face and beaten, beaten like that. Can you imagine the biting cramps that was, that was uh, embracing the body of the Son of God as he hung upon that cross? And then he who had created the oceans and the streams and the lakes and the rivers, he had scooped them all out and said, let there be, and there was. And the darkness cried out, I thirst. And yet he thirsted that he might look at you and me and say this, he that believeth on me, 
shall never thirst. He died dehydrated so that you and I could be hydrated. Hey, we could have an eternal drink of everlasting water that would cause us to never thirst again. That's what he told that woman at the well. He said, you drink of the water I'll give you, you'll never thirst again, bless your heart. You say, did she? Well, I don't know, but she left her water pot. Evidently, she wasn't going to need that no more. And buddy, I'm glad to tell you, when you and I come to Jesus, he gives us a drink of eternal, satisfying, fresh, cool water that once and for all satisfies the deepest, the deepest desire of our soul. Man, we've been going around trying to find this to satisfy us and that to satisfy us, but aren't you glad when you come to Jesus, he gives you a drink of water and you've never thirsted since. He died dehydrated that we might be hydrated. Number three, he died in agony that we might live in luxury. Look again in our text. Psalms 23 says this, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, lush, soft green pastures. They tell me this about sheep. A sheep will not lie down until he is completely satisfied. I mean, he's got to have stomach full. He has got to be complete. He's got to be safe from all fear. He will not rest. He will not lie down. He'll constantly stand on his feet and many times to their own detriment because they're afraid or they're not satisfied. But when that shepherd leads them to them lush pastures in those cool running brooks whereby they may drink water and eat enough grass to find their field and they feel safe from the presence of the shepherd, then and then only will they lie down in green pastures. I got news for you tonight. I don't know what Biden's going to do in the White House, but look, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I got a good shepherd looking after me tonight. He's going to take care of us as his people. He's going to watch over us, and we can lie down in the midst of all hell breaking loose all around us because we got a good shepherd. He died in agony so that we might live in luxury. Go back to Psalms 22 and look at some of the things. You talk about agony. In verse 16, he mentions this in Psalms 22, 16, they pierce my hands and my feet. Then he talks about in verse number 14 and verse number 17, he's talking about his bones. Now we know, according to prophecy, not a bone in his body was broken. No bones were broken. But according to what he said in verse 14, and then down in verse 17, he was a sight hanging there on Calvary. In verse 14, he speaks about his bones are out of joint. In verse 17, he said, he said, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. There are 206 bones in the human body, 206 of them. And Jesus said every bone in his body was staring back at him. What does that mean? Well, I personally think what that means is when they nailed him to that cross, when they pierced his hands and his feet and put him on that cross, he was so fixed to that cross. And then those Roman soldiers raised that heavy cross up and when it finally slid down to, to the bottom of that hole that had been dug for it, it hit with such impact, and he was so fixated to that cross that every bone in his body was jerked out of joint and was protruding like bumps in his skin. Boy, can you just imagine the pain and the agony that the Son of God was in on the cross of Calvary. And yet, he did all that so you and me, he suffered so we could rest. Amazing. He died in agony that we might live 
in luxury. Watch this. Look again at Psalms 23. Jesus, Jesus died abhorred so that we could be restored. Look in our text again in verse number, uh, verse number 3. The Bible simply said this, He restoreth my soul. That, that means that God just comes to us and just gives us what we need at the right time in life. And he refreshes us. He restores us. He encourages us. He helps us. And when we mess up, he, he sets us back in place. He does all of that for you, and he does all that for me. And yet, the reason that we are restored is because Jesus was abhorred. Look back in Psalms 22 again and look at verse 14, for instance. Jesus said, I'm poured out like water. By the way, he died dehydrated that we might be hydrated. All my bones are out of joint. Then look at this phrase in verse 14. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. You know what I think he's saying? I simply think he's saying I have nothing left to give. I've given it all. I have absolutely nothing left to give. His heart has melted like wax near the fire. I think that's just Jesus saying, I've just, I've laid it all down. I've given it all. He died empty. He died abhorred so that you and I could be restored. I don't know about you, but have you ever made the statement before, that's it, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm through. I quit. Have you ever made that statement before? I think if you'd be honest, probably everybody in this room had just simply said, threw up our hands at one time or another, and said, I, I said, I'm done. I, there's no more. I have nothing else to give. I'm through. I've been hurt. I, how dare them talk to me like that? I'm finished. I mean, I can't believe they've done this. I'm crushed. And then God reaches down his hand and through a song or through a sermon or through the encouraging word of a brother or a sister, or through the prayers of God's people, and God just restores, refreshes, encourages our soul. Well, I tell you, he died abhorred so that you and I could be restored. This is my favorite one. I'm coming in for a landing now. Jesus died poured out that we might be poured on. Look at this. He was poured out. That phrase there in verse 14, I'm poured out like water. He died poured out. He gave everything. But then if you'll look at Psalms 23, we read these words in verse number 5. Jesus was poured out so that our cup could run over. Is that not amazing? Our cup runneth over because Jesus was poured out. I'm poured on. I'm enjoying the blessings of God. I get up in the morning and go about my daily activity and read my Bible and pray and enjoy being with loved ones and enjoy being around God's people and go about the business of God and go about my own business throughout the day. But I tell you, the reason I can do all that is because Jesus was poured out on Calvary. So God could every once in a while just... Uh, who was it that said this? Said, we got small cups, Lord... Don't take much to fill us up, but we can always run over. And God just blesses our life and just causes us to run over because he was poured out that we might be poured on. Then watch this. Look again. Jesus died hounded so that we might live surrounded. Jesus died hounded. If you go back and read Psalm 22, one of the things that the psalmist keeps mentioning is all the people that are there that are against him. 
they cried. Look at verse number, verse, let's see, verse 6, I'm despised of the people. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in it. Does, not, does that not sound like what they were saying around Calvary that day? It's no mistake that David penned these words. God, 700 years before, was just telling us, here's what Calvary's going to be like. Here is a, here is a, here is a picture, a, 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 what do you call that when you do a, a run before it actually happens. Here is a pre-shadow uh, of Calvary. So the word of God said all the crowds around Calvary that day except for a handful were there out of anger and vengeance. They wanted to see Jesus die. They were calling for his beating and his death. They would not be satisfied till he was gone. Nobody was there to defend him. And yet he died undefended so that you and I could be defended. What I mean by that is this. How many times, and I preached this before, and I stand corrected, but I preached this before. When we think about being in spiritual warfare with the devil and, and him battling us, we always think about Ephesians 6, that text over there. And it talks about, you know, hey, uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then it talks about the helmet of, uh, the helmet of uh, salvation, the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and your feet shod with the preparation and the sword of the Spirit. And how many times have us preachers said, now notice there's absolutely nothing there to defend your back. You're never supposed to turn your back and run. All of the defense that you have is in the front. There's nothing to surround you in the back. Don't turn your back. And yet, I'll read this in Psalms 23.6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. I've not only got all kind of defense stuff up front, but bless your heart, I got mercy and goodness watching my back. I mean, man, we are surrounded. In our terminology, we would simply say mercy and goodness has got our back. They're watching us from behind. They got anything that's going to come from the backside. Thank God for mercy and thank God for goodness. Hey, we're surrounded because he was hounded. Can I have an amen? And last of all, 8 o'clock, number 7, and we're done. Jesus died with a prayer so that you and I might not die without a prayer. Can I have an amen? Yeah. Jesus on that cross died with a prayer. His last words on the cross was when he started and when he finished, six hours on the cross, he started with prayer. His prayer was, uh, uh, was, uh, was, was about all those people standing around. Father, forgive them. It was about forgiveness. And then that last prayer that he prayed on the cross was this. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Evidently, the relationship, the fellowship has been restored because he's calling him Father again. And right there, that last thing that he said on the cross uh, was, uh, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He died with a prayer. Guess what? So you and I might, have to, might not have to die without one. Aren't you glad we got a prayer? Aren't you glad there is hope? And the reason that we can... We can live in Psalms 23 and enjoy all of that. It's because of what Jesus did in Psalms 22. So I haven't lost my mind. I mean, I'm going to. I'm about to. But I haven't yet because these things go together like a glove. Let's pray. For